0: Did you enjoy the snow this week? (laughs) All the moms are like, all the kids. Yeah. You know, two days off of school this week and then a late start on Friday. Have you ever noticed that uh, around here, you know, we, we cancel school. It takes five, six inches of snow to cancel school, but you get somewhere to a warmer climate. You get down to Atlanta, Georgia, somewhere around there. And like the threat that it might hit 32 degrees, cancel everything. Have you ever noticed that? Do you have any relatives down that way? Maybe you've lived down in the South somewhere and just the threat of it, like dipping below about 34 degrees is like, oh man, it's, it's, everything is shutting down. Go get bread, milk. The, the grocery store is empty. Just the threat of it. And we kind of look at it from up here and are you like me? You go, Really? Do you do that? Well, so my brothers, uh, all three of my younger brothers all live in Minneapolis. And they look at us in northern Indiana and they say, when we cancel school, like for four or five inches of snow, really? Well, we average like 30 inches of snow a year. Do you know that in this area? In Minneapolis, it's like 55 inches of snow a year. How about Buffalo, New York? That looked this up. Almost 95 inches of snow every Yeah, who wants to move to Buffalo? A couple people. But why is it that some places, like just the threat of cold weather, that's how my son says it, weather shuts everything down. But around here and in northern climates and you get further north or places with more snow, it doesn't take that much to shut, it takes a lot more to shut things down. You ever notice that? Why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because those of us who live in Northern climates, we don't hope, sit around and hope for our environment to change. Instead, uh, we invest and change our investment in what the environment is. You ever think about that? Cities in the North are more invested in winter. Cities in the South are more invested in summer, spring, and fall. That's just the way that it is. Uh, the answer is that that we don't hope for a change in our environment. We know it's not going to change. We just change the investment. We know that if we live in winter, we better be ready for it. Well, I would contend that when it comes to making a life, planning your life, living your life according to the purposes that God has put out for you, a lot of people are asking God to change their environment. And that's not always a bad thing. And that's okay to ask him to do that. But in reality, maybe he's wanting you to change your investment rather than change your environment. Because that environment might be the very thing he's going to use to orchestrate those purposes in your life. You know, have you ever gone down this road where you think, Man, God, if you would just change my job where I work, then life would be better. If you could just change where I live, you know, get me into that neighborhood, uh, get me into that school, then life would be better. If you could just change, fill in the blank, those people, that circumstance, that somehow our life would be instantly better. You know, we long for a better place and to be around better people, but God might be saying, uh, listen, I'm not going to change your environment. I want you to change your investment. Allow me to change your investment because I'm going to use this environment to change and to shape you. And that's what today's message is all about. Investing in God's dream, in God's best for your life. Let me pray. And then we're going to be uh, looking at Jeremiah again like we have for the last few weeks. And uh, let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him and your goodness yeah. to us through him. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you came. You entered into our world. You put on flesh. You lived the life that we could never hope to live on our own. And you died the death that we deserve on the cross so that we might have your life. And you've made us new. And you've changed us. and. In Ephesians, uh, Paul writes very clearly that that was all an act of your grace and that also in your grace, uh, you have plans and a future and dreams for us. Things you hope for us to accomplish. Good works you've planned way ahead of time. And Lord, uh, I believe those things are knowable, that they're nameable. And uh, Father, I pray that as we continue to work through this series, you might show us Um, maybe just the next step towards those things in our life. The next thing to invest in so that you could accomplish all that you have dreamed for us as individuals and as a church and as your people. Lord, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He would uh, cause us to be discouraged and uh, turn our sights from you. But instead, would you draw us towards you this morning? Uh, Take our eyes off of us and Jesus put them fully on you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, here's what I would say is that to live out, we've been talking about God's dream for you. In other words, uh, the Bible is very clear in multiple places that he's planned all of your days well in advance. For us to think well in advance, we've got a dream. So we're using that language that that God has been dreaming about your life. He has plans for you, things for you to accomplish for his glory, others good, and your joy. And let me just tell you, to live out God's dream for you, we can go back to that main first slide, Jake. To live out God's dream for you, stop asking him to change your environment. Stop asking him to change your environment. Now, with that being said, let me say one thing. Sometimes a change in environment is exactly what you need, right? It is. And it's okay to pray and to ask him for that. Especially like, listen, hear me very, very clearly. If you're in an abusive situation, if you're in a place that's that's toxic, where you're in danger, you absolutely need to get out. Did you hear that? This message is not addressing that. If you're unsafe, if if uh, if if you're if you're in one of those spots, listen, hear me. That's not right, and you need to get out. You need a change of environment. But that's not what we're talking about today. What I'm talking about today is uh, I'm talking about God has that dream, that plan, that assignment in mind for your life, and. Uh, Your circumstances, even though they might be frustrating, they might be hard, and they might not be anything you want, right? Listen, those circumstances might be the very thing that he's going to use to shape you, to bring those dreams about in your life, and to make you into the man or woman that he longs and has designed you, and that Jesus has died on the cross for you to become, that's what we're talking about. Not, not, not continually waiting for those environments to change before I follow Jesus, but saying, you know what? Lord, uh, I need to quit asking you to change those things and I just need to trust you. For the last several weeks, we've been on this journey called 2020 Vision for Life. And we've been uh, dipping in and out of Jeremiah and, and looking at uh, this, this whole idea of gleaning principles on how to live the way that God has designed and destined us to live. We've seen the uniqueness of who we all are in Christ. That you're unique. You've been created uniquely among all of his people. We've been challenged to turn away from our false selves and embrace who he's truly made and designed us to be. We've we started to consider and articulate a, a unique calling from God so that we can dream and plan our lives and chase after that. Well, today, again, we're in Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 32. And to set this up this morning, you need to know that Jeremiah's circumstances, his circumstances are rough. They are incredibly, incredibly rough. Today we find him in some pretty disturbing circumstances. Last week I mentioned uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he had come and, and he had put a new king in charge. Right? They're in the midst of the exile, where Jeremiah for decades has been uh, saying, listen, if, if you don't turn back to the Lord, if you don't turn back to him, God is going to come, or, or God is going to send an army that's going to come and that's going to discipline us and take us into exile. See, there were, there were tribes to the north of Judah, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel that this had already happened to about 150 years prior. And now Jeremiah is prophesying for decades. Listen, if if you don't turn back, the same thing that happened to them, they were sacked by the Assyrians, we're gonna get sacked by the Babylonians. It's gonna happen. God said it would, that if we sinned, we're choosing to suffer. But if we choose to obey, he would bring blessing. Well, they continued to choose to sin. And they didn't want to hear anything that he had to say. And so last week, we kind of got right to the point, the unthinkable had happened. And the exile had started. And it actually happens in three waves. The Babylonians come the first time, Nebuchadnezzar does, and as I mentioned, he sets up his own king in Judah so that they won't rebel against him. And he takes the the main leaders and the main uh, political people and the artists and and all those people, and he takes them, the key leaders, back to Babylon so, so that it would break the hearts and the spirits of the people so they wouldn't rebel, but... Here's the problem. They still kept rebelling. They kept rebelling. And uh, Jeremiah is one of the guys who's there. And as they continued to rebel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes back with his army again. And this time uh, they besieged all the cities in Judah and they've surrounded Jerusalem. And they're besieging it. Do you know how siege warfare works? Uh, they come in and they surround the village, they surround the town, they surround the city, and they let no one in and no one out until finally they've, they've starved enough that they come out and they give in. Now there, there's accounts, the Assyrians especially, were nasty at this. There's accounts written where they would bake bread outside of the city walls as the people were starving. Hey, just come on out. You can have a little bread. They would hurl feces over the wall into the city. They would do all kinds of things to get the people to come out. Well, now Jerusalem is under siege and the cities around it have been devastated as well as the land. And Jeremiah is one of those people stuck inside the city. And while everyone in Jerusalem is withering away, Jeremiah has a message from God for them. Here's what he says now. He says, listen, the Babylonians are going to win. He kind of changed his tune at this point. It's not an option to turn back anymore. The Babylonians are going to win. Judah will lose. Jerusalem will fall. Lots of people will die. And the survivors will be deported to Babylon. Your only hope is to surrender. (laughs) How's that for a good message? You know, you're like, yeah, I like this Jeremiah guy. That sounds good. Well, if you feel like that, imagine how the king felt. Uh, This is a big message of doom and gloom and the king can't tolerate Jeremiah proclaiming defeat and demoralizing everyone in the city. So he imprisons him in the royal barracks to shut him up. And the only thing being worse than starving in a besieged city is to be in jail in a city under siege, and that's where Jeremiah finds himself. Would you agree? These are kind of rough circumstances. It's not easy. But even in these circumstances, Jeremiah, it's incredible. He he refuses to become uh, a product of his environment. And instead, he chooses to invest for God's best Invest in God's best for his future, literally. If you got your Bible open to Jeremiah chapter 32, we're gonna start actually reading in verse six, but let me just, I'm gonna read ahead here a little bit or a little earlier, I should say, verses one through five. It says in verse two that at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was the palace of the king of Judah. And it goes on to say, for Zedekiah, king of Judah imprisoned him. Because and and the next few verses basically just say because he would not quit preaching this doom and gloom. He wouldn't shut up. So Jeremiah's in prison and then look at verse six. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, if you're Jeremiah, you've had this happen before, right? You you know what it's like to have God speak to you and to give you a message to speak. I wonder if Jeremiah hoped for a moment, the word of the Lord came to him. God's gonna talk to me again. Maybe he's going to set me free. Do you think he prayed for that ever? I think he might have. There would be no sin in him praying for that change, for for God to free him, for God to bring good to him. But nonetheless, God doesn't. And instead of setting him free, God tells Jeremiah to invest in a piece of family property. Keep reading with me. Here's what I want you to see too. Your circumstances, especially for Jeremiah here, they might explain some things, but they don't excuse him from following the Lord. Your circumstances, your environment, it might explain a whole lot about you. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. totally. It could totally explain you, but it does not excuse you. It does not excuse me. From following the Lord and investing in what he has. Look, look at Jeremiah. It says, uh, God said to him, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you. And he's going to say this, Buy my field. That's an anathoth. For the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Now let's stop here for a little bit. Jeremiah, where is he at? In prison, in a city that's under siege. And uh, this army that had sieged, that has the city under siege, what had that army just recently done? It had devastated the land, sacked all the surrounding towns. And God comes to Jeremiah in this environment, in prison with the land totally devastated. And he says, Jeremiah, a real estate opportunity is coming your way. (laughs) Sounds like a bad infomercial, doesn't it? I mean, but, but that, that doesn't make any sense. Think about this. He's been prophesying for years that the Babylonians are coming to conquer Judah. Now it's happened. King Nebuchadnezzar's deported some leaders. He set up his own king. Judah rebels. They come back. They seize the city. Jerusalem's due to fall. It's due to be trampled, just like the rest of Judah. And this is the moment that God tells Jeremiah to consider some real estate. Is it just me or does that seem crazy? I mean, it'd be cheap. He'd probably get a good deal. But on the surface, it just looks like a complete waste of money. I mean, it's controlled by the Babylonian army. The land of Judah and its cities have all been devastated. It's of no value to anyone right now. And in fact, the only way it really would become of value is if somehow uh, God would end all of this, bring people back who could farm the land and he could rent it out and make his money back. But Jeremiah himself, keep in mind, he's the one who's been saying that isn't going to happen for like 70 years. But God tells Jeremiah to buy the land anyway. And here's what I would say to live out God's dream for you. Stop asking him to change your environment. And like Jeremiah, start allowing God to change your investment. Listen, if anybody had a rotten environment and rotten circumstances, it was Jeremiah. And God comes and says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to follow me. And in his case, quite literally, I want you to invest in this real estate. If anyone deserved a new environment, it was Jeremiah, but he refused to be defined by his circumstance. It wasn't an excuse. He was gonna follow the Lord and invest in God's plans. Look at verse eight. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with, what the, word of the, Lord, in accordance with the word of the Lord. And he said to me, Buy my field, that's an Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then it says, then I, then Jeremiah says, then I knew this was the word of the Lord. Because that's exactly what God told him was gonna happen, isn't it? And he believed it. So it was clear then to Jeremiah at this point, I'm supposed to buy this field. Like this is what God's calling me to do. It makes absolutely no sense, humanly speaking. But I'm going to trust him. I'm going to make this investment. So he does. He says, verse 9, and I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, I sealed it, got witnesses, weighed the money on the scales. I bet he had less signatures to go through in that day than you do now when you buy a piece of property. What do you think? But nonetheless, he had to do some of it. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch. Baruch, we haven't talked about him, but he's a scribe with Jeremiah. And in the presence, he gives it to Baruch in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase and in the presence of all the Judeans who are sitting in the court of the guard. Then verse 13, I charged Baruch in their presence saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed. Now, we're we're, kind of left to speculate why why is there a sealed deed and an open deed? It could be the sealed one was the official one, the open one was a copy, kind of like we do today. It could be that the open one was for the witnesses who were there, but inside the sealed deed, there were more details about this land that he was buying. We, We don't know. But, here, but nonetheless, God says, uh, they're to, Baruch is to put them in an earthenware vessel, so in a big clay jar, that they may last for a long time. Does that make you think of anything? Those of you maybe who've uh, been following the Lord for a while, you know a little bit about archaeology in the Middle East. You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls, there was this group of people who lived around the Dead Sea who were studying God's word and they had copies of God's word and they would, they would roll up these scrolls and put them in these big clay jars and hide them deep in caves. And it's an incredibly arid climate. And they sat there for uh, over a thousand years. Nobody knew they were there until around nine, in the 1940s, a little shepherd boy walking around with his sheep was throwing rocks into the caves and he throws one in and clink, Here's something shatter. And he walks in and they start finding, uh, he, he was the first one to find and then archeologists descended on the region. They find all of these old scrolls of scripture. And they're, they're a pretty profound and important find in terms of the confirmation of uh, the reliability of God's word to us. Because uh, in one case, like the, the copy of the scroll of Jeremiah that was found there was over a thousand years older than the next oldest copy that we had. So it's a thousand years closer to the original. And so a lot of people, when these were found, they're like, oh, I wonder, wonder how different it is. This is gonna, uh, th- this could prove that scripture has just totally been changed and made up. And it, guess how much change there was? Three letters in the entire book of Isaiah. Did I say Jeremiah earlier? I meant Isaiah. The entire book of Isaiah. And those three letters is simply a matter of spelling. (laughs) Anyway, just a side note. The the copy of God's word you have is reliable. And God has kept it reliable throughout the ages. But in any case, it worked to store something in one of these uh, big jars in these caves. And it makes me wonder a little bit when they put these deeds in there. Do you know that these have... Copies of other deeds similar to these have been found, but these particular ones have never been found. It makes me wonder if one day, maybe soon, who knows, total speculation, right? But whether or not those deeds that Jeremiah signed for this land, of this land that he purchased, in the midst of terrible circumstances, investing in God's best for the future, if those deeds might be found someday. They continue to find fragments and, pieces of, of, uh, of god's word and other things in this area and there's other spots identified where they believe when they start excavating they're going to find more stuff and it makes me wonder like maybe that closed deed i wonder what exact piece of land it was that jeremiah bought maybe the temple mount who knows wouldn't it be cool to find out that could totally rock our world if those are found but I digress. Back to the text. Here's the deal though. Thus says the Lord of Hosts, verse 15, the God of Israel, here, here was why he told him to do this. He said, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Now, imagine you're someone around Jeremiah at the time, You've seen Babylon come in and destroy everything. Maybe you're even some of the people who got or got uh, deported to Babylon. Maybe you're trapped inside the city with Jeremiah. And you see Jeremiah do this or maybe you hear about it and you're like, "Why did he buy a piece of land? What a waste of money." And Jeremiah says, "Here's why." Because God's made a promise and he keeps all his promises. And this little thing right here, this is a demonstration that God is going to bring us back, that there will be fruitfulness here again, that he hasn't forgotten you. He's going to discipline us for a while. He's going to use this incredibly awful environment to change us and to advance his purposes. He's good. He hasn't changed. And we can trust him for the future. And I don't know about you, Jeremiah. in a sense, Jeremiah is saying, I don't know about you, but I realize God has brought this because of our own sin. I'm going to quit asking for him to fix everything. And I'm going to say, you know what, Lord? Instead, um, I know that the way you're going to fix it is as I follow you, as I obey you, no matter how crazy it seems. And as you change my investment, then things will change. And you promise to do good to me. Do you see that? Do you see? That's what's happening here. Jeremiah tells us, exactly, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. you need to know, land is at the heart of an Israelite man's identity and destiny. It affirmed who you were, it affirmed your future, it was security for your future. We've been talking a lot about that in this series. Your identity as a follower of Jesus, your future as a follower of his, And in this prophetic purchase, Jeremiah is making a prophetic statement. He buys the land, not because it's useful to him today, but because it confirms the identity of his people tomorrow. He's not saying, we need to change the environment. All the false prophets were saying that. He's saying, no, we're going to change our investment, and we're going to trust the Lord. And investments pay off, or they don't, in the future. Have you noticed that? They do. In this purchase, Jeremiah invests, he shows that he he sold out to God's dream for his future. It would have been so easy for him to just focus on his environment, to focus on his circumstances, to give up, and to feel like God had given up on him. Everything around him indicated that he should, but his faith wouldn't allow it. God honoring investments. God-honoring dreams are really acts of faith. Do you know that? I've shared this definition of faith with you many times over the years. If you're new, maybe it'll be new to you, but if you've been here a while, you, you've seen this. And if you're here a while, you'll see it again, that, that, that faith is believing God's word. What did Jeremiah do? He believed God's word. And it's not just believing it, not just this mental assent, but then it's, it's what? It's acting upon it. What did Jeremiah do? He acted upon it. He did what God told him to do. When you become a Christian, you believe God's word, who Jesus is. And then uh, Romans, Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. In other words, if you act on it, put your faith in Jesus, then you'll be saved. That's true faith. He believed it. He acted on it. And here's the third part. This is the part I struggle with. How about you? No matter how I feel. How do you suppose Jeremiah felt in the moment? I mean, we just talked about all these circumstances. It makes absolutely no sense to do this, does it? Humanly speaking, none. But Jeremiah does it, no matter how I feel. You might say, uh, no matter my circumstances. Why? Because God promises, friends. He promises a good result. Now, I just said investments are about the future, aren't they? That, guess what? That good result might not be today. It wasn't going to be today for Jeremiah. In fact, the things Jeremiah prophesied here, even through those actions that God's going to bring people back, it's not going to happen in his lifetime. We're going to build on this next week and talk about living, leaving a legacy with your life. Jeremiah has the opportunity to... Uh, Even in the midst of rotten circumstances right now, invest in what God's told him to do, knowing that God promises a good result, and he personally would never benefit from that. But he knows God's gonna bring a good result about. And Jeremiah's benefit is, I mean, he's gonna go be with the Lord, so he does benefit. But you know what I'm saying? Like, earthly speaking, in this place, in this moment, it's gonna be incredibly hard for him to invest. It's an act of faith. See, your decisions today indicate more than anything what you and I believe about tomorrow. They do. And sometimes for us to be willing to invest like that, like Jeremiah does, we don't need a change in environment. We need to change our investment. We need ultimately kind of a change of perspective. Because if I focus on my circumstances and everything that's going on, well, here, let me just try to write this without botching it. I should have thought this through. Everything right now. If all I do is focus on right now, life isn't that great sometimes. Would you agree? the now can seem really large. The disease, the circumstances, the job, the loneliness, the now can just feel huge. And what I need is I need to change my perspective. I need to start to see things the way God sees them. I need to step to the other side of the glass in a sense. And what what God says, listen, you may not see it now, but I've won I've won. And if you'll trust me through the now, if you'll invest in my ways now, you will get to the point where you'll see. Your faith will become sight. You'll see the fact that I, Jesus, have won. Do you get it? See, when, when I look at just the now, the now seems so large and so big that I can never get through this. I can never follow the Lord through this. My, you don't understand my circumstance, Josh. You're right, I, I, I might not. But I know my God. And Jesus says, listen, no, I've won. And when I come to the other side of the glass and when I can see it from his perspective, it gives me the ability to invest today for things I may not see even in my lifetime on this earth. So it leads to a question. Where are you investing And are you investing in God's best to live out God's dream for you? Stop asking him to change your environment. Start allowing him to change your investment. And are you investing your life in God's best? Jeremiah does that. In other words, are are you following him by faith? I wonder what is it that you are investing in? What is it? Whether it's your money, your time, your relationships. You hear investment, you might just think money, right? You're like, I don't have any investments, Josh. I think I got a 401 something out there, but that's all I know. Right now it's check to check. No, no, not just financially. Your time, your relationships. Whether you realize it or not, every moment of your day, you're investing in something. And in the future, it's gonna pay off. Or it's not. What are you investing in? And are you investing in God's best for you? Every decision you make, every decision I make, it reveals what we truly prioritize and what we're truly invested in. In fact, I would say the most spiritual thing you do today is not your devotions, it's your decisions. Are you investing in God's future for you? no matter my circumstances, because I know he promises a good result. That's not to negate your circumstances or say they're not hard. Trust me, I know they can be hard. But too often the investments of our life are going a different direction than the direction God is calling us to. That's why we've got to listen to him, not just for the what and why, but also for the how of our life. We've got to be attentive to his voice every day. Our decisions have to be anchored in what he's saying to us. Let me close with this. Um, any kid who's been to the grocery store with their mom or dad, you ever go grocery shopping with your mom and dad when you're little? What was that, what was that experience like? You rode around in the cart maybe, or you walked alongside while mom and dad picked out, mom or and or dad picked out, you know, whatever it was that they wanted to buy for the week. And as a kid, at least this is my experience, as a kid, you didn't, you didn't really have any say in any of that, did you? You could try to lobby for something, but it really wasn't up to you. Up and down, every aisle, over and over, but there was one aisle where you had a fighting chance. Which one is it, you know? The cereal aisle. We were here a couple weeks ago, too. The cereal aisle, you had a fighting chance. Because if it was a good week, you know, and you had been good, mom or dad might say, okay, why don't you pick out a cereal for this week? Now, if you were like me, what did you base your decision on? The prize in the box. I don't know if they still do this or not, but it wasn't that long ago, like you could get a prize in the box, right? You could get some kind of like secret agent toy. You could get some kind of a cool stamp, all all kinds of great stuff. And uh, the the picture on the box and maybe on the commercials on TV just made it look so enticing, didn't it? And in fact, do you ever pick out a cereal you didn't really like because of the toy in the box? Like kicks? I mean, come on, it's not colorful. It's just bland. I've been down that road, but then you, what, so what happens? You, you get that box of cereal. There's the promise of this awesome toy inside. You get home, you dig, you know, you're in like shoulder and your bicep digging around in the cereal, all the crunching, touching all of it, digging for that, that little prize and you pull it out only to find out what it's lame. (laughs) It's nowhere near as big as it looked on the box. It's nowhere near as shiny. In fact, if I play with this for more than an hour, it's going to break probably in about five minutes. And not only that, but now I'm stuck with this lame box of cereal, too. <laughs> Have that experience? You see where I'm going? That can apply to our lives too. The big shiny thing on the box looks like the thing I have to do now. I have to invest in now. That's going to make my life so much better. If, and it could be something uh, good. It could be something that's incredibly sinful. Whatever it is, I got to have that. That will make my life better. But when you pull it out of the box, what is it? It's small. It doesn't last. And it leaves you left with a box of cereal, left with something you've invested in. That you wish you could just throw out. You need to invest in God's best, friends. Quit, change, quit asking Him to change your environment all the time. Start allowing Him to change your investment. What are you investing in? We've talked a lot about investments, decisions, things like that today, but let me leave you with this thought. And then we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and call it a morning. You know, even if in your life, you're, you're, maybe your heart feels heavy right now, you go, you know what, I've wasted a lot of my life. I haven't invested in the things that, that I know would be honoring to God, the things that I know would uh, pay off for me spiritually, relationally, eternally. Here's the great news, that even if you haven't been investing, God's been investing in you. In fact, he paid the ultimate price for you 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that you and I always fail at. He died on the cross in my place and in your place. And he offers to save you, to make you new, to give you a fresh start. And some of you have made that decision. Some of you, maybe you haven't and you need to. And even if you've wasted your life, your life isn't wasted. you know how I know that? You're still breathing. You're still hearing what I'm saying. God is not Done with you yet. There is still time to turn to him. But as the psalmist writes, today, listen, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't you bow your heads? Just with your with your with your heads bowed, eyes closed, close up your Bible, any notes you have, the worship team is gonna come forward. I just want to ask you a question. Just the two of us talking here. You go ahead and close your eyes. I wonder uh, what steps do you need to take today, this week, this month, to begin investing in the things that God would have for you? Take a moment right now. Ask God to bring to mind where it is He would have you invest for the future with your life and for his purposes. I asked earlier what you're investing in. Ask him to maybe to bring to mind, where where is it you've been investing spiritually, physically, intellectually, relationally? How's that gonna pay off for you? Is there a sin you need to turn from today? Maybe you need to quit looking for the easy way out running from your circumstances and invest fully in the people and the places God has in front of you. Maybe it's a financial investment that won't benefit you much but could have lasting impacts for generations. I don't know what it is. Ask the Lord to bring it to mind. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ at all and he's calling you to turn to him and trust him for your future. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us, that you sent your son 2,000 years ago, looking uh, into the future, knowing we'd be sitting here in this place at this time to die on the cross for us, for our sin. Jesus, I thank you that you've had plans for my life, for the life of everyone here since before the creation of the world. Plans for future and hope and, and good things that put out for us to accomplish. Lord Jesus, would you help us to follow you by the power of your spirit? Would you change us and draw us to the truth? Help us make decisions that invest in your best for us. In your dream, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Join us.